church as well. Um, and then Joe has a few more announcements. So thank you. Thank you very much, Cian. Uh, there's a lot going on. <clears throat> I wanna, I'm going to finish up the announcements today. We have an important announcement for our church family. Just wanted to let you know that, uh, <clears throat> first of all, we have been doing this here at the Nightlife Center with partial live here and then the, the worship team streaming from McCurdy's and me preaching live here for several months. And when we started, a lot of people came together to make it happen technically and logistically, uh, from Dylan to Ronnie uh, to, to Kevin Crasco and everybody just helping and Jen and her team trying to make this work. And we've, we've done okay with it. We've done about as good as we can with this facility, with the screens and everything. Um, but it's, been, it's not been the same because we haven't been together, especially with our families with children. And it's been like, um, it's been really hard for me as a pastor to not see our people. Some of you, I know you've been watching on the live stream, but I haven't seen you for eight months. And it's just ridiculous. Well, I'm happy to say we'll be here one more week next week. And then on November 15th, as a church, we will once again be gathering together at McCurdy's Comedy Theater and 1900 building will have Grace Life Kids. So we're gonna go back. I asked them, you can clap at home especially. I'm very excited, I'm relieved, and I'm also excited. We're still going to have protocols for safety. Uh, for some of you that um, are still, you know, maybe at-risk people and you still need to be home, we're continuing the live stream and all those things. We're going to have a limited number of spaces for people and Grace Life kids, but it'll be uh, a lot bigger than here. And so I hope that all of you that are listening plan on November 15th. Let's come back together as a church family. We have some special things planned that Sunday. Uh, I'm just, I just got to tell you, I miss so many of you so much, and I'm going to be glad to see you there. Okay, so that's the announcement that I have for you. Another thing about it is we're going to have to have all hands on deck, especially to help. There's a lot of things that we're going to need help with to make sure we open back up with check-in and protocols and cleaning and stuff like that. But we're going to need some people, especially to help the Grace Life Kids team set up their program. So later on today, there's going to be an email go out, a push notification will also go out. For you to see that for us to pull off November 15th without a hitch, we're going to need you, our church family, even if you've never helped before, to chip in. All hands on deck. There's a, a sign-up list of what you can do and when. Just go on there. All of you should try to figure out a way to help. Okay? There's going to be some stuff during the week and also on Sunday. We're going to have some moving take place. We have a great moving company locally just helps our church out. Um, the Larkin Moving Company, they do a fabulous job, but once they get there, we're going to have some setup, things like that, uh, so make sure you guys know it's important as a church. I'm, listen, I'm your pastor, I'm telling you, all hands on deck. If you think we don't need you, you are wrong. A lot going on. We've got, we've, it's almost like starting a church plan again in some ways, okay? So make sure you know that, all right? Thank you very much. Did I do a good enough job, Jen, to make sure I push that good enough? Okay, great. I got two thumbs up from <laughs> from uh, organizational shepherd Jen Gillespie, so that's good. Um, so we are on week 51. Uh, make sure you bring over the screen so I can, there we go. We're on week 51 of Mark the Evangelist. Uh, week 51, next week will be a year's worth of messages, right? The message this titled this, uh, let me turn it on, there we go. Hosanna for now. So, as we come to this last week of Jesus' earthly ministry, there's probably about 15 of 20 messages left. So don't get excited and think, oh, only six or seven. 
There's a lot left. But let's talk a little bit. We've just given you this announcement about November 15th. I want to talk just a little bit about what we've been through as a church family since the pandemic hit. Initially, our church was very well prepared. We were built for hard times, especially economically, right? Financially and structurally, uh, our unique vision and core values actually set us up and designed us to give opportunity to thrive in difficult seasons. And we were ready. The church was in the best position it had ever been financially. We were growing numerically. Uh, we had our ministry with Lisa Kay and the Mercy Team was taking off children and youth. A lot of things were happening that were good. But there were some challenges that happened once the pandemic hit that we just did not have the ability to forecast. And those things have kind of taken their toll. For example, we haven't been able to worship together Think about this. For a church to go, we haven't been able to worship together for eight months. We haven't seen many of you, probably more than half of our church family during that whole time. But somehow, Grace Life as a church is still here. We are still committed to one another. And we are all striving to follow Jesus together question how can a church even exist if we can't meet what are we still doing here how are we still together as a church and there's a reason it's because our faith our gift of faith from sovereign jesus has made us into people that are able to look to eternity and not be too distracted by today yes it does distract us but in the end, the gift of faith enables us to see the things that we can't see and put our hope and trust in those things. And this week, as I was preparing this message, I gleaned some of those lessons and things from this Palm Sunday story. Even though it's not Palm Sunday, we're going to pretend like today's Palm Sunday, okay? But I think some of the things I learned in this story seem to resonate in my heart with what Grace Life has gone through in the last eight months. So let's read the passage. Mark chapter 11, verse 1 through 11. Now they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, and Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt. A colt is a young donkey, an untrained donkey, tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Yo, why are you stealing my donkey? That's in the King Joe version. That's not really what it says here, okay? Why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. He's going to return it. And they went away and found the colt tied at the door, door outside in the street, and they untied it, and some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying our colt? And they told him what Jesus had said, and they let him go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and Jesus sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting in unison, by the way, not like at a game, like everybody's just shouting their own thing. They're shouting in unison, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem 
and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went back to the hotel in Bethany with the twelve. So we, we do at Grace Life, we look at three applications. What about the history? What about man? What did he do and why and how did he do it? I want to talk about Palm Monday, and I'll get to that in just a minute. But I want you to see what's going on here. There is an intense celebratory atmosphere. The next few weeks, we will see some incredible, beautiful imagery that the week of Passover provides as the backdrop for the death, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Jesus. It's incredible. But before we get to that, we're going to focus on this particular day. So people are walking up the hill toward Jerusalem, and they're walking with the most famous rabbi in history. And they're there with the most famous rabbi who's done miracles and all kind of stuff. They're there to celebrate basically what ends up being, for the most part, it's Jewish Christmas. It's Passover. See, people think Hanukkah is Jewish Christmas, but it's not. It's Passover. It's the biggest feast of the year. They are treating Jesus like a king, like Messiah, that he has come to take his rightful place of authority. And today what we're going to do, we're going to study two things that paint a picture of what Jerusalem looks like on this day and also go over the calendar of the week and how that impacts what Jesus is doing and what his plans are. It is this celebratory atmosphere. People have come to commemorate what God did for the nation of Israel in Egypt on that first Passover. And we'll have more information about that in the coming weeks. But you got to understand, logistically speaking, the city of Jerusalem is crowded. There are many faithful, sincere worshipers walking up the hill into the city. And at the height of Passover week, which will be in a couple of days, most historians estimate in first century Jerusalem, there would end up being about two million people in the city at that time. And in the first century, you might not think two million is that big a deal now. Back then, two million is a lot. Think of all the things that people do. And think about two million of them. And now think about first century technology. And now you understand how this is a lot. It's an interesting situation. They think that the city is probably bursting at seams. Now the city is also filled with people that for the next seven to ten days make a full year of wages on Passover week. It's the biggest commerce event on the Jewish calendar. We would compare it to our Christmas shopping season. As people walk up this hill, they're getting pitched by salespeople from all types of vendors, lodging, food, clothes, sacrificial things, all kind of stuff. Everything you can imagine is being sold to them. From rabbis saying, hey, come with me, I'll help you get in. To butchers, hey, here's some good food, food service, livestock, lodging. Everyone is trying to cash in on the holiday cheer. That's the atmosphere of what's going on. Then you have this Passover calendar. It's very important to understand how Passover week is laid out, all the traditions and the daily schedule. It's important for you to understand this. It's 30 AD. Jesus enters Jerusalem on exactly the 10th day of the month, Nisan, and it is actually about four days from his crucifixion. Nisan 10, the 10th day of the month, was also called, get this now, this is really cool, it's called Lamb Selection Day. That's the day when everybody comes in to the city and all the lambs that will be 
sacrifice for the Passover feast are also brought into the city. Experts think that that's probably about 260,000 lambs, a quarter of a million lambs being brought into the city for people to pick and choose for their family. Now keep this idea in your head of the lambs being sold to people in mind for reference later when we talk about Judas and things like that. It's pretty fascinating stuff. But this is Lamb Selection Day. People would inspect and select their sacrificial lambs for their family based on the quality that they could afford. The next four days, the lambs are slowly, systematically, ceremonially prepared for the ultimate day of sacrifice, which would be the 14th of Nisan, what we call Good Friday. Some of you have done the math. Wait, if Jesus arrives four days before crucifixion, then Palm Sunday could not have been on Sunday. You are correct. Actually, Palm Sunday is Palm Monday, but we are too busy on Monday working, so we celebrate it on Sunday. I understand that's what's going on here. So it's actually Palm Monday, Lamb Selection Day. So that's kind of the history of what's going on, what's happening in the city. I want to talk about the spiritual part now. What about God, or what does Jesus do, and what and how, does, what and how, does, how and why does he do it? I want to talk about Jesus being in full, complete control. So we know that suffering is coming. There's pain. There's affliction. There's persecution. There's death. Yet Jesus, though he's facing this, is in complete control. And I want to see there's some comfort in the fact that even though he's about to face death, there's comfort for us. First, I want you to see there is prophetic comfort. See, one of the treasures of Scripture is the inspiration and encouragement we get, the comfort that is provided when we see undeniable prophecies fulfilled. Things that were written about thousands of years before that come true at a moment in the fulfillment of Jesus Christ. And there are two here that I want to really point out to you that I think are just amazing. Two here is that King Jesus enters Jerusalem on a young never ridden donkey or a colt. That's the first thing I want to look at. Look at Zechariah 9.9. This is a prophecy of Jesus. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. In other words, a young colt that has never been broken, never been ridden on. It's a young Colt, a donkey. That is a prophecy in Zechariah 9.9. So what does Jesus do to fulfill this? He sends two disciples into the small village of Bethpage, which is just across from Bethany where they're staying, just outside of Jerusalem, to go and retrieve a specific young colt that Jesus has reserved for himself. Go to that village over there. Right inside the village, just as you walk into the gate of the village, you will find a donkey that has never been ridden, a young colt, you are to untie that colt and bring it to me. Now listen, when you do that, the owner is going to ask you, yo, what you doing with my colt? Just tell them, it is for Jesus, it is for me, and I'll return it when we're done. And trust me, they'll let you take it. Did you know that David and Solomon, on the day of their coronations, actually rode into Jerusalem on a young donkey? See, this picture that Jesus paints, riding, by the way, 
everyone knows that it's almost impossible to ride an unbroken colt, an unbroken donkey. And these two kings did it. Now Jesus is doing it. Everybody's going to know it's a young colt. So not only is he coming in as a popular Messiah, he's coming in on a donkey that nobody has any business riding, and he has complete control over this unbroken donkey. And they would know the picture of David and Solomon doing the same thing. This picture painted by Jesus is no mistake. But then there's another one I want you to see is in Daniel chapter 9, 24 to 27. This one is fascinating. Daniel chapter 9, 24 and 27. I'm not going to put the verse up. But what Daniel tells us is that 400, exactly 483 years after the Persian king Artaxerxes commanded that Jerusalem be rebuilt, that Messiah would enter into Jerusalem. Daniel says, 483 years after this day, Messiah will come. 483 years from the decree, which was in 485 B.C., 445 B.C. Guess what day that works out to be? Exactly Nisan the 10th of 30 A.D. Isn't that cool? Isn't that like, doesn't that give you chills thinking, wow, our Jesus knows what he's doing? What a picture. He's entering Jerusalem on this lamb selection day that was predicted 483 years before to the day and he's riding on an untrained colt all these things together the day of the year when it was happening and how he came in are all examples of how much Jesus is in complete control of the week that he is going to die and what's happening as they go through they are screaming our salvation see it's an intense moment Monday before Passover, excitement around this miraculous Messiah is off the charts. They're declaring him king because they see all the imagery around them. By the way, some people have tried to declare Jesus king before, remember? After he fed the, uh, the 5,000, he said, let's make him king. And Jesus said, no, it's not time. He never allowed it to happen. You know why? Because Roman and Jewish authorities would have seen him as a too big of a threat and they would have tried to move to take him out before his time. But now, today, it's part of his plan. His plan is to voluntarily die at the hands of the Jews and the Romans on his terms, in his timing. So he allows this huge scene of people calling him Messiah, people calling him king. And here's what happens, right? The crowd is coming up the hill. They come up the Mount of Olives. They get to the peak of the Mount of Olives. And suddenly, in a beautiful way, in a beautiful spring day, the city of Jerusalem, with all its glory and all its Passover pomp and circumstance, comes into view. They're almost looking from the Mount of Olives down just a little bit to the plateau of Jerusalem, and they see it. They come over the hill, and the emotions just start running high, and they break forth in unison with a chant, Hosanna. So what does the word Hosanna mean? Here's the Greek word. It means save us. Every time you hear the word Hosanna, it means save us. And they say the Lamb of God, or they say the King, uh, the King of David, come back to take the throne of David. They say a few things, but it's all based upon this word Hosanna. And really what they're doing is they're repeating a psalm, Psalm 118, 25, the first part. Save us, we pray, O Lord. This is called the victor's psalm. And here's what I mean. Jesus, you are our deliverer. 
you are our king, you are our savior, but it wasn't a spiritual salvation they were declaring. Hosanna, it doesn't mean save our sinful soul. You know what it means. The salvation they're talking about is political. It's military. It's salvation on their terms. Messiah is here. He's going to do what we want him to do, which is overthrow Rome. And so they're so excited about this that Messiah is here. He's going to take his place as king. He's going to defeat Rome. And they begin to lay down these palm branches and their cloaks on the road under Jesus as he's riding this colt and the colt is riding over the palm branches and people are taking off their cloaks. The palms, by the way, were always used to symbolize the culmination of a military victory. That's what people use palms for. When the, when the conquering army and the conquering general, the conquering king would ride into town, they'd wave their palms in a sign of being excited about the military victory. The cloaks are a symbol. When you would take your cloak off and put it before somebody, it was a symbol of you saying, I am submitted to this authority. So what they're really doing by laying down the palms and the cloaks is we are submitted to the authority of this military victor. Hosanna! That's what they're doing. And they really do mean it. They are very sincere. For now. Hosanna, for now. But then there's an interesting way this story ends. You see at the end where he says that he rode into city, this is big pomp and circumstance, all the crowds, the palms, the cloaks, and Hosanna, all that stuff, right? But look how the passage ends. He enters with all this fanfare. He goes to the temple, he looks around, then he goes back to Bethany to the hotel for the night, because it's late, it says. The scripture says he goes in, looks around, and it was late, so he took him and his disciples, and he went back into the village where they were staying. What's he doing here? What do you think? He's strategizing for the next day that we're going to preach about next week, where he goes to the temple turns over the tables and takes on religion. So I'm adding some, as we go through, I'm adding some new days to the Holy Week, right? We have Palm Monday, and then it's Temple Tuesday. We're going to talk about that next week, Temple Tuesday, right? The next day, tomorrow, he's going to begin the process, get this, of tearing down the temple in three days and then rebuilding it again with his resurrection. That's what he's going to start tomorrow. So he goes through this fanfare. He goes through Palm Monday. Everybody's excited. He goes to the Temple Mount, looks around, takes some mental notes. Okay, boys, back to the hotel. We got a long day tomorrow. It's going to be emotional. It's going to be dangerous. We got to get some rest. See, Jesus is in complete, full control. He knows what, he knows when. He knows who, he knows how, he knows where. There are no surprises awaiting him at any moment. He has his own timeline. He has his own agenda. He will voluntarily allow himself to be selected as the Lamb of God. As a matter of fact, Paul sums it up perfectly what is happening here. But when the fullness of time had come, 483 years God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, 
to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Jesus has started the fullness of time. Everything is perfect. It's coming together just as planned. It's going to be brutal. It's going to be bloody. It's going to be scary. But our Jesus is in absolute, complete control. So let's look at the personal application of this passage. What about us? What do we do and why and how do we do it? I want to talk about following Jesus for just a moment. This was the Sunday sermon preview this week. Following Jesus on Palm Sunday was the easy call. The next day, not so much. When those people in the first century were following Jesus, laying the palm branches and the cloaks on the ground, it was very easy emotionally to follow Jesus then, wasn't it? They thought he was there to be their salvation on their terms. That was easy. So what we're going to try to do in this personal section, and see if you can, you'll have to bear with me here, but I'm going to try to weave together two concepts from today's passage. Are you ready? I'm going to weave together the concept of the sovereignty of Jesus, he's in complete control, and the other concept of how his sheep will always follow him. The sovereignty of Jesus and his sheep always follow. So the first thing I want to look at is I want to define for you what I would call temporary followers. And this is the title of the sermon, by the way, Hosanna for now. Our salvation, save us for now. These are the type of people that would look at the, like, let me just read 2 Corinthians 4.18 for you. As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient or temporary. The things that are unseen are eternal. Later on, we know from the story, it's clear that the Palm Monday crowd didn't really want to follow Jesus, even though they sincerely thought they did, right? The, the first day, they were all in. They looked like followers. They certainly sounded like followers. They acted like followers. But the next day, they just melted away, and they were no longer followers. Once it was clear that Jesus wasn't there to fit into their personal agenda, they turned away from him quickly. Once it was clear that they were fully focused on a temporary kingdom, they had no more desire to follow Jesus, none. Many follow Jesus today, like this Palm Monday crowd. There are many people in the world, particularly in America, maybe in other countries too, they appear very passionate about following Jesus. They sound great. They even seem quite sincere. They probably even believe that there is a God. But their following of Jesus is not inspired by eternal desperation, but it is motivated by temporary expectation. They really mean it. I will follow Jesus because I know if I do, this is going to happen. Well, that's temporary expectation. But there are others who have this, and we talked about it last week, right? This, this desperation, this beautiful desperation. See, these are people that are following Jesus as they walk by sight, not by the gift of faith. They aren't, frankly, really followers at all. 
Because once following, if you'll try to track with me, once their following becomes inconvenient, costly, tiring, maybe once following Jesus demands some sort of sacrifice or some sort of willingness to to sacrifice our own agenda, our own hopes, our own dreams for blessing if we follow Jesus, once that begins to take place, people who walk by sight aren't really going to be followers. They're focused on the temporary and they will fall away. Matter of fact, Jesus had some really cool parables about this that we've studied. Once following is hard, it's not going to be likely to continue. In fact, I'm going to submit this to you. I'm going to make a bold statement. It is impossible to faithfully follow Jesus without first being given the gift of faith to see eternal things. See, this kind of following always ends the same, just as it did on Palm Monday for those followers. Now, personally, that scares me just a little bit. The last thing that I want to be, the last thing that we want to be as a church are those who are temporary Palm Sunday or Palm Monday followers, right? Putting on a good show, saying the right things in unison, singing the songs, going to church, all those things until it gets a little difficult. And then we say, you know what? I'll pick up the following when it's easy a little later. But now let's talk about faithful followers. I love what John says here that he quotes Jesus. This is Jesus talking. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hands. Isn't that beautiful? See, here's the good news. There is reason, biblically, and evidence that we have seen to believe that God's children, God's true children, will never be Palm Monday temporary followers. And it's not because we, as children of God, are superior to other people in any way. In fact, we're probably much worse. (laughs) But just as Jesus... Jesus authored all those events of that last week in his life, right? He's in complete control. Just just the Palm Monday story gives you evidence that he's in complete control. Just as he authored all those events, he is equally in control and powerful to keep his children faithful. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. And no one can snatch them out of my hand. No one can distract them. No one will veer them off path. They are with me. They're not going anywhere. Look at Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, or 12, verse 2. Look what Paul says here. Looking to Jesus, get this now, this is beautiful, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Look to Jesus, the one who started our faith, gave us the gift of faith, and continues to make sure that faith is perfect. So who has the burden of making sure we follow? It is our Jesus, our King, our Messiah. So now let's talk about following at Grace Life. 
One of the very first sermons I preached, and we re-ran it a few weeks ago for our anniversary, Philippians 1.6. And I am sure of this. Man, I love this verse. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Let's just read it again in case that went one ear and out the other and you're not really paying attention. Maybe you're dripping off. Maybe I'm boring you. I don't know. I want to read it again. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You know, as I mentioned earlier, this pandemic has been very challenging for our little church family these last eight months. We've had a lot of intense conversations as a leadership team. What do we do? Do we buy a building? Do we find another building to rent? Do we, do we, do we wait? What do we do? And like we said, that coming out of 2019, our church was healthy, ministry was thriving, we were in a good place, and then suddenly COVID. Like I said, we were prepared, mobile, organic, biblical and generous, designed for hard times. Lisa Kay and her mercy team were fulfilling the generous core value in stunning ways, especially right after the pandemic hit. Just expanded probably about 300% how many families we were serving. Financially, we were built to operate on as little money as necessary because they didn't have an expensive building, no full-time staff. So we knew that no matter what happened, whether the economy collapsed because of the shutdown or whatever, we knew that we could survive if we had to on one-fourth of what we were bringing in before the pandemic. We knew we could do that. And then, you know what else happened? We energized ourselves with creative ideas. The live streaming, right? We started Grace Life TV with Al and I. We're doing some stuff, interviewing people. We, be, uh, you know, we came up with this idea of multi-site worship with the band streaming from McCurdy's and people meeting here and me preaching there and combining the streams together. We had Zoom Bible studies popping up all over the place. Every time I turned around, I was getting an email. Zoom Bible study here, Zoom Bible studies there. Zoom, 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 Zoom. Now, I understand that COVID-related issues and problems were not unique to just our church. Every church faced them to some degree, but we had our own little distinctive challenges because of the type of church we were. And slowly, things we could not foresee came to pass that began to seriously take a toll on our little church family. Our inability to worship together, losing the opportunity to come together as a church at McCurdy's, facility restraints, and... Uh, it really isolated significant portions of our church family. And I hated it. I just, I know that they were watching on a screen, but I hated the fact that there were people who no fault of their own were isolated from one another. There was no Grace Life Kids. The 1900 building, our lease ended. We couldn't keep paying thousands of dollars a month for rent for a place we're not using. So there were no Grace Life kids. And those precious families with children, they too were isolated. They couldn't be with us. Some tried. It was just too much work here. Kids running around, making noise. And then there are others that are more higher risk from infection of COVID. They were isolated too, and they still are because Nightlife Center is too small and the risk is too great. And they couldn't even be here. And being a church family began to become much more difficult for us. 
we, okay, maybe not all of you, but I began to worry. Are people going to hang on? Are people going to fall off? Well, eight months have gone by. And guess what? Our precious Grace Life family is still here together following Jesus. You don't get any credit for that. We didn't turn aside like the Palm Monday crowd. Why? Because our Jesus is sovereign. And he is keeping us. He is completing the work he began. It's not been easy. But Jesus, who had complete full control over the last week of his life on earth, has kept us, you, faithful. We know today, because of Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, we will not be the Palm Monday crowd. By his grace, by his word, and by our experience, all those things together tell us this, that we hear his voice, he knows us, and we will follow. So we're here next week. For one last time here together, don't slack off, sign up. But on November 15th, we get the incredible privilege of worshiping together again at McCurdy slash 1900 building. Look, who knows what will happen in the future? Maybe we'll get shut down again. Maybe we have to go back to using Nightlife Center again. I hope not, but it's here if we need it, right? Because we're mobile. We're ready to roll. If we got to do it, we've shown we'll do it. We may have to fall back to this remote model again sometime in the future. I don't know. But this one thing we do know, our Jesus is in full control of the pandemic and everything else, and he's also the author and perfecter of our faith. So one thing we know, we will be faithful followers. We will not melt away. We will stay together. We will follow the voice of our Messiah because he is going to drag us and go, kicking and screaming, no matter what. Heavenly Dad, first of all, we're so encouraged that you are sovereign. The examples that we see in the passage today of your complete control over creation and calendar and people and donkeys and everything else is just such an unbelievable comfort to us. We also thank you, Lord, that... that we're not like a Palm Monday crowd, and it's not because we're any good. It's because you have decided to empower us with the gift of faith that enables us to see eternal purpose, eternal promise. I thank you for our church family, all that we've been through. It's been hard, but you've been faithful. You've made us faithful. And as we get together again in a couple of weeks... I do pray this one thing. You will never, ever let us take for granted the privilege of worshiping together again. Ever. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, thank you so much. I'm excited about a couple weeks. Don't forget, the sign-up is coming, the email, push notifications. It'll be on our Facebook page and our website. Make sure you sign up. We've got a lot of work to do in the next two weeks. We'll be back here next Sunday, and then on the 15th, we're back in our other church home.